0: Welcome to Sponsored by Nobody. This week, sponsored by labels. Who reads those anyway? It is December 2020, and you are listening to Leaves in the Jungle, Season 1, Episode 5. Interlude 1. In this game, we will be using the Wild Sea world setting and system. In this interlude, we will be discussing character backstories.
1: Hi, I am Bev, and I am playing Rook. Baruka, or Rook, as it is much easier for her shipmates to pronounce, grew up in high branches and higher society. Her people do not think themselves superior, they just like things done well and orderly. Her parents were engineers who maintained infrastructure in their city, and one day when Rook was a child, her mother found herself staring into Rook's imploring eyes, holding a pathetic-looking bundle of dirty, damp fur, begging, I found him in the garage looking for scraps, can I please, please, please keep him? The bundle was a puppy who sort of looks like if a burger involved uh, into monkeys to survive and from that moment Scraps and Rook were looking out for each other. Now the pair are bigger, Scraps much more so, and Rook has gotten them into working on ships holding them together. Machines make sense to her. Everything has a place and a function. They can be understood. If they break, it's just a matter of sorting out where everything belongs. Her biggest challenge with her current crew? She likes hugs, but this May prove difficult. I mean, Gomez is is quite pointy and tzitzi. Um, problem hugging? There's there's no problem, especially not interacting with Crowley. Squirmy, scary, not scary. Finding them scary would be so rude. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah. When you say your uh people are from a like high society or like they like things just so in orderly but they don't think of themselves superior. What do you mean by that?
1: Um well, I mean for starters she is a shankling, so literally high branches, high treetops uh <laughs> for starters. Um but I just kind of envision like a people who I mean like maybe if if somebody who didn't know them or understand them um kind of came to visit there, they might th- consider everyone in this or er- er in this shank to be uh to be snobs, but it's not that anybody in the shank looks down on anybody in some kind of prejudicial kind of way. They're just a very like ritualistic, everything has a order and a process and there is a correct way. You know, I'm like, you know, you probably met these people, you know, like there's some people who are just cool to do a job, whatever way they want to. And then there are people like, no, there is a right way and a wrong way. And we must do it the right way because that is the best way, you know? So it's, yeah, they're, they're just kind of like, Things have a time of day. Food is prepared in a certain order of events. You know the the idea of improv and spontaneity is. I mean, like again, it's not looked down on. It's just not something that the society comes to naturally. That's fair.
0: Yeah. And what about you? Said your parents were working on infrastructure in the city. They they're engineers that maintain it. Uh, what type of infrastructure do they work on?
1: Um, I was kinda like just toying around with this I kind of had the vague notion that like maybe her mother is like what a Shanks equivalent to a city planner would be. Um, and then kind of met her dad because her dad is more of a um I don't know, I was trying to pick like one of just one of like the basic uh you know, like either like irrigation or plumbing or electrical or something like that. I don't know. I I, I strangely kind of want to go with like he he actually does the building part of city's plumbing systems. And so they kind of met together on the job.
0: Oh, okay. That's yeah. neat. So he runs like pipes for the plumbing system.
1: Well, I don't know if he runs it, but like, certainly it is, it is his, um, it is his career is to be, you know, the making sure everything flows downward.
0: Yeah. Sorry. By runs pipe. I mean, like, yeah, li- like yeah. lays pipe, like put, puts the pipe down, not, runs the operation of piping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you're talking about how you got into working on ships. How'd you get into working on ships?
1: Oh, that's actually something that I haven't really thought about yet. So for kind of the first inkling of um an idea there is just um I decided to make Rook just somebody who is almost reliant on um, things just making sense um or you know like like unknowns and um and vagueness are uncomfortable for her so mechanics uh just seem to make sense and that's kind of why she got into that field and i feel like as far as the wanting you know like translating that specifically into like working on ships as opposed to um like something more stable like staying in a tree somewhere um I kind of wondered if maybe like she is somewhat aware that this is a character flaw to to be uncomfortable with the unknown. So there was almost a part of her that's just like I'm going to intentionally work on a ship because life there is crazy and because you know the the wild sea is wild. So yeah, I, yeah. I, there's not really a specific story there that I've created yet, but it just kind of it's more of a character instincts motivation kind of a thing.
0: Fair enough. Um, and then this isn't or this wasn't talked about in your little description here, but knowing you and knowing your character sheet, you have the Meyer ancestors whisper their disappointment and you also have ghost sight as an aspect. Mm-hmm. So um, how does this manifest when the ancestors talk about how disappointed they are and how do you feel about the ability to see ghosts?
1: Um, well, the ghost ones. I kind of decided that it was just something that throws her for a loop, and she kind of hates that. Like she'll just kind of get like, you know, she'll hear from ghosts or visions, and it just makes her like it's it's not something that can be measured or something that can be you know understood on a mechanical level. So it's she almost kind of like would prefer to ignore that part of her. And the ancestors' dis- disappointment. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe.
0: I think, if I may butt yeah. in a little bit here, because we talked about this before when you picked that as your Meyer. Mm-hmm. I think we discussed how your ancestors were like big, beefy, like muscular people. Okay. And they're disappointed in how like hoity-toity you, you and your society have become. Mm. If I remember that discussion correctly.
1: I don't know if I remember that, but I do like it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so like you're, even though you're quote unquote, uh, what is it? Um, A gear rabbit, (laughs) uh, your ancestors were all like hunters and like huge jock type characters for lack of better words mm-hmm. so they look down on you because you're working on machines Nerd! and you're like brawny <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
1: oh no they're just bullying me
0: <laughs> yeah yeah oh
1: man usually these stories have to do with like you know insecurity about what former generations No, this is just straight up bullying <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh no the voices in my head are jerks
0: <laughs> yeah I just picture like Your ancestors being these, like, huge, like, muscle-bound, like, men and women. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, look at you trying to lift that wrench. Oh, I bet you think you're so strong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. I like that.
0: Yeah, and they're like, oh, oh, can't tighten a single bolt? I once punched a leviathan.
1: (laughs) 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 I'm just sitting there, like, mumbling to myself, I've evolved my mind.
0: Shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like my brain is strong, and they're like, "Oh, my brain is strong. Oh, <laughs> look at me.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: look at me. I can do math.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm literate.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I read books. Like, yeah. That's just. I. That's how I picture. They like whisper disappointment at you and you're just like you know they're wrong but also they're your ancestors and they're ghosts and
1: (laughs) yeah there's like a part of you that like you know like you because well like you know getting into the real life zone you know like my um my great grandmother raised something like 16 kids during the depression and when you hear about like all the stuff that she did and like my grandma talking about how like being one of the younger ones she never actually realized how poor they were because you know like my my great grandma was just an all star. Of taking care of the family, and I'm sitting here like I, you know, yeah. know how to refresh the page to figure out if that's why it's bugged out. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Times change, and and things are different, right?
1: Right? I mean, like, she, you know, like, I hear stories about how, like, well, when one of the older boys grew out of his good pants, then all the younger boys got new Sunday vests. And I'm like, I'm super impressed with myself that I can sew pajama pants out of flannel that are kind (laughs) of awkward, but who cares? Because they're pajama pants. So yeah, if we can just, like, translate that, you know, like, even though there's, like, you know, her being all like, I have a reason to be proud of myself, but also... I'm so useless. I hide behind my puppy.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good. It's Myers that like build your character story really are it's it's good. I like that. Nice. Okay. Well, I think that's a pretty good little cap of your character. Yeah. So you were Bev playing Rook the Ardent?
1: I was and continue to be. Nice. Mm-hmm.
0: And I was Ian the Firefly.
2: Hi there, I'm, uh, I'm Jonathan. I play Gomez the Ectus. And uh, this is a little bit about his past. So Gomez has always had a fascination with the old world and the treasures that the trees bring up with them. Um, you know, as they grow, they lift whatever is on the ground up and up and up until, you know, maybe it peeks through and people can actually find it and get the stuff. Um, his home was secluded on what's called a spit, which is when the green sea lifts actual earth up with it and creates probably a temporary place where people could live on actual dirt or natural an rock and stuff. And it's still stable as far as he knows. And the sacred sands that gave him life are you know, kept there. So it's like an ectus breeding ground almost. They're cactus people, so they go somewhere to pollinate. And the sand there is kept warm with lamps and that are basically recycled bulbs. Um, like, despite the hostility of the sea around his home, his life was pretty peaceful. Uh, no real dark backstory or anything other than the common things that people just have to deal with in the setting. Uh, he could, could have stayed home, been happy, but uh, after his second season of, you know, pollinating and stuff, he got restless, and when a crew came along, he joined them and took to the seas. Uh, precious things are kind of everywhere. Uh, things that can be reinvented and really bring prosperity to whoever owns them and understands them, and he does. He, he knows how things work and how to fix them. So that's just kind of been his thing. He's still pretty young, though. Nice. And that's Gomez. Awesome.
0: Uh, yeah. No. Um, actually, when you said they have warmed, warming lights like like old recycled light bulbs uh, on the sands, all I'm picturing is the uh, those giant light bulbs from Trigun.
2: Okay. Oh man! Like, aren't those the plants? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. the, the
0: plants where the like the those giant light bulb looking things that like glow and they yeah they call them the plants or whatever i don't I don't know if you want it that
2: way, but no i'll I'll always take from Trigon Tri- Trigon's a great show
0: <laughs> yeah, no I'm just like yeah with the sands and the like old things coming up, I'm just totally picturing this spit looking like a little like plant right out of trigon almost
2: yeah I love
0: this yeah oh excellent um that's that's really cool. You said your like odd treasures coming up from the sea always gave you a fascination, and I mean obviously we can see that with your character being so good at scavenging and repairing and doing weird and sorts of stuff um what kind of was there any? one treasure maybe that really sparked gomez's excitement when he was younger hmm
2: maybe an old train set ooh like it it was incomplete but it had like it had a couple of the cars maybe a maybe a caboose might have been missing its engine but you know you can piece together probably like he he might know what a uh, an engine was just from Stories or books or whatnot, but it had little tracks you could put down and stuff. And it's just kind of interesting and almost alien to think that that kind of thing could be used to travel long distances when, like, the world around you is always shifting. Like, you you don't have stable ground to lay down tracks.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's like the idea of trains in this setting would be so foreign to people. So, yeah, kids would definitely gravitate. To like some crazy cool train set thing. Much like
2: kids in our world gravitate to like crazy spaceships and stuff. Yeah, I I think I might make it canon that in his room he actually has the little caboose still. Ooh, nice. It's just yeah. on a shelf somewhere. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about it because it's, it's just a thing. Like it's just a memento, but you know, it's there. That's for, cool. Like for cards, ships. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm drawing a direct connection to, to Gomez and Picard. He's not the Picard of his group. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not because he doesn't want peace. He's just, he's just not good at talking to people. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, that's, and that's I, okay. And, and I do attribute that to like the fact that his home was secluded. Like, it, You would get people showing up with cool stuff, and they also had cool stuff to trade to those people. But you didn't have a large population. It might have been maybe a few hundred people. And, you know, that was it.
0: Well, yeah, I think we've seen a few times in game where your character is almost, for lack of better words, a little awkward around large groups or people where he, he doesn't quite know what to say or what to do. And yeah, you can, as you're saying, you, you can attribute
2: that to his growing up in such a small community. Yeah, he'll just be like, oh, I'm very happy for you all having this <laughs> having this community of yours. And I'm sure it almost comes off as like patronizing. <laughs> People are like, oh yeah, he's making fun of our community when he's really like, no, this is a good thing that you have a community. I'm actually very happy for you. It's kind of yeah. like when somebody says good for you, but they actually mean it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. He's, he doesn't he doesn't realize the colloquialism he's using is almost wrong. Yeah. Because he's like, "Oh, that that means it's a good thing." Yeah, good good. That's yeah. good.
2: Yeah, good for <laughs> you guys. And they're all like, "Wow, this, who's this guy?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and then he's saying like so what was his biggest leaving his home? What was his biggest thing that he had to kind of overcome.
2: Hmm. He was used to small groups of people, but he was used to the same small groups of people. So I think his crew had to get used to him and like vice versa. Like they they, they were new people that he like he would meet people, like the people who would come to trade But, you know, they talk for a little while and then they leave, whereas this crew is like living with them. So they kind of had to get used to his colloquialisms and the way that he talks or the way that he sees the world. And, you know, like he's when he talks about their homes, they had to be like, oh, wait, he he's actually meaning that this is a good thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then what would you say his. I mean, obviously, as a scavenger, he's always looking for something exciting and unique out there. Mm-hmm. But what would you say his like, what does he want to find? You mentioned trains earlier. Does he want to find, like, a legitimate old work, like, semi-working train and, like, repurpose it on the sea or something? Or what What does he want to do?
2: He wants to put a thorium reactor together. Ooh. He's... He... he he, he he's, like, not equipped to do it. But, you know, he's read about them. Like, they were things that existed and a relatively safe source of almost unlimited energy. I mean, there's, there's almost no way that they would get enough water to actually run that reaction. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all about heat and water and there's not a lot of standing sources of water. But, you know, if he could put something like that together and then put together a team to somehow go down to the depths and put together a reactor and then somehow run that energy back up to topside. Or, or even just like at that point you could have a permanent facility that doesn't need the sun because you have energy being produced that doesn't require like sunlight to grow or anything. And he's already familiar with uh you know, the plant at his at his home. Like he could try to recreate that and use the reactor to power it or you know vice versa i mean obviously not vice versa because you don't need to power the generator (laughs) yeah well i guess you do you you know what i mean (laughs) i know what you mean the generator produces energy you don't use energy to power the generator so like that's just a thing like something similar to that would be like a lifetime goal like like that's his like golden bucket list that he will probably die not having achieved and he'd be okay with that because he's like, "No, this is a I would have to find an awful lot of very specific things <laughs> in order to make this possible."
0: Yeah, but I mean, like expanding on that, you could get close to it like it's basically it sounds like while it would be cool to make a full-on reactor, he just kind of wants to build a another plant almost. It sounds like another place where it has like a renewable energy source Mm -hmm. yeah that's cool so is he trying to build like is he just trying to build it because he wants to build it or is he trying to build it to make a home for people or what
2: i think he's definitely trying to build it to make a new home for people um one of the maybe one of the uh things that the plant almost like produces as just like as waste essentially is it just like grinds stuff into sand and then that sand can be used as like a new bed for new Ectus to be born. And so he's he is looking to eventually make a new permanent home for Ectus, like not like all Ectus or whatever, but like a new colony, basically. And like at that point, he might retire from sailing because he he doesn't want to sail forever. He doesn't he doesn't want to die doing this. He doesn't want to retire doing this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> this life is a nightmare, but he enjoys it though. His, yeah, It would just be a nightmare to imagine continuing to do it for years and years and years. You know, eventually he'll get tired and want to settle down somewhere. So I think he's also looking for that, you know, where, where to settle if not going back home.
0: Yeah, building, building his own place, like marking out a new settlement, a new area, putting his mark on the world sort of thing, but not in a huge, huge way in a, like, I've made a home for myself here, and my friends and other people if they want to come.
2: Long after I'm dead, somebody will carve a statue in my likeness. It might not, <laughs> it might not actually look like me, but I accept it. <laughs> Excellent.
0: And I think we'll end it there. I was Ian as the Firefly. And I'm Jonathan as Gomez. Hi, I'm uh,
3: Dylan, and I'm playing
0: GSON the Gau.
3: Uh, I just wanted to talk a a little bit about what my character looks like and uh, his backstory as well. Uh, So he's about four and a half feet tall with flesh that alters tone based on mood, climate and intent. He's spry despite his mechanical leg bounding around the kitchen. His head has dark blue or purple modeling surrounding the middle, but no sensory organs are present. A frill with long stock strands of mycelium ending in tiny electric blue caps protrudes from the top rear of his head. He has always survived by his quick thinking and speech, trusting his gut over his head and having a reputation for never being willing to walk away without feeling like he has the better side of the deal. Growing up as a rootless youth who was raised in a traveling circus, Jison has learned to distrust outsiders, a trait accented by his general nervousness and hoard resources to the point of fault. Fluctuating between mercenarily pragmatic and single-minded obsession, he relentlessly pursues the height of flavor, venturing boldly into territory that would terrify and honestly disgust lesser chefs. Jison's pursuits are unrecognized in general as being a foolish dream by those most of those he meets, his quest for a so-called perfect spice, at least, until he, they taste his cooking. A well-guarded secret by those he knows, even the lowliest of scraps can be transformed into a soul-nourishing meal within his care." Outside of his passion, Jison comes off as varying degrees between curt and downright unsympathetic, concerned more with saving his own spongy bits than championing for others, though he is pragmatic above all else and he can see the value in those he trusts. Due to his developmental years taking the shape that they did, he will sometimes extend trust openly despite his own anxiety and occasional self-sabotage in the cases of those who share his fate, either by being Gao or other rootless.
0: Nice. You mentioned he has a mechanical leg. How did that happen?
3: I would imagine it was probably just bitten clean off by some form of beast. I haven't really decided exactly what, but That's
0: fair. Nice. Okay. Yeah, some kind of just like w- was he really young or was he middle like you know, was it super early on in his life that it was bitten off or later in life?
3: Yeah, it's definitely something where he's had to have it like refitted probably once or twice as he's grown physically larger
0: okay that's cool um and then you also mentioned he has the ending in tiny electric blue caps on his like strands of mycelium uh is that where he gets his like toxin or not toxin he has hallucinogenic spores or do they come from other parts
3: oh yeah no that's exactly it they kind of like rattle out of there you know what i mean yeah it's like You can think of, um, there's, uh, I'm trying to think of it. It's like, uh, those weird red mushrooms that have the, the frill around them and the really long stalks. It's kind of like one of those, you know what I mean? They're really gross looking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But they're, they're awesome. Like mushrooms just look so cool. Yeah. They're such weird, unique shapes. So he was in a traveling circus. Is that circus still around? Uh,
3: no, I imagine that after a certain amount of, like, unavoidable deaths, and, you know, like, it, it nothing really ever lasts for too long. I pro- They suffered critical damage to their ship, and there, you know, there's just too many monsters once you start hitting the outer layers of the Wild Sea, so it's something that would have probably existed for the, the better part of a decade or so during his de- developmental years, and then okay. completely fallen apart and left him working on boats to sustain himself
0: Hmm. um and then with this circus uh are there still people from the circus around like does he ever keep in touch occasionally or are they all just kind of they went their own ways and that's life you don't always know the people you worked with
3: uh somewhere between the first and the second for sure because it's like I wouldn't say that they had a chance to stay in contact. So he might encounter one of the people that he had worked with, but whether or not they'll be happy to see him is entirely beyond the point, right? Like, yeah. Like, there, I can't say that they were close. Maybe he had someone that he was close with, but the chances of them having died when the ship went up, right? So,
0: yeah. Um, and then was this circus a, like, was the ship the circus and it would just travel area to area or like, and people would come on the ship and they do their show on the ship or did the ship have all the stuff and then they'd set up when they got to an area on like land or whatever. The latter
3: though, they could definitely perform like their, the ship itself would have had like a stage mode where they can, it would just be smaller. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, was the ship, was it like Cirque du Soleil where it's only like humanoids or was it a whole bunch of like a menagerie of animals as well? And were they like super dangerous animals or just kind of weird, unique animals?
3: Well, one has to imagine that the, the weird things that you could find on the wild sea being incorporated into a zoo, uh, like, a, like a menagerie, as you say, would be pretty exotic. I like to think if it's one ship, it would probably have, it have had to have been pretty big or a very small beast exhibit if that was indeed the case. But yeah, I'm I'm imagining probably at least like acrobats and actually that's interesting. Is it actually a poaching ship? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Was it was it all a front? Oh man. <laughs> Delving deeper in the character
3: backstories. Uh, but I didn't I didn't see it. I was too young. I didn't yeah, realize exactly. back then oh man Ooh. you're shaking me to my core ian
0: <laughs> that's good that's what these uh little backstories are for oh man. okay so yeah was it was it secretly a poaching ship i mean you're commanding lore here about your character. so now i need to find out <laughs> okay so may- maybe you don't maybe you don't know we'll figure that out later okay maybe that'll come up in in game one time nice okay that's cool. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, that's why we do these little backstories, is because then we can pull different backstory ideas and new thoughts. Um, you you're pursuing the so-called perfect spice. Would this perfect spice be in a place known as Flavor Town, or? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, okay. Well. See, there was a legendary spice back from before the apocalypse called allspice, and I, I feel that he's uh, he's misin- misinterpreted the uh,
0: naming all- convention nomencl- yeah. nomenclature. That's
3: yes, word. exactly. He he believes that allspice is a singular spice and not a blend. So he's out there questing for what
0: he perceives to be the the root of allspice. But you know, apparently, allspice is actually a root. It's a it's a singular root. It's it's a weird nomenclature, but allspice, I believe, is a single spice. Well, <laughs> but yes, I get I get what you're saying. Sorry, sorry to just blow your mind there. Man, I just don't know how many
3: times that can happen in short order <laughs> in this conversation. <laughs> Regardless, yeah, he's 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 questing for what he believes to be the the penultimate spice by which he can like it, it's almost more an excuse. By giving himself an impossible goal, he enables himself to travel about the wild sea and discover new ingredients and, like, get his grubby little mushroom hands on the ability to make food that's, like, wild and other people haven't had the ability to make yet. Like, eventually, all things will become mastery of his domain through the art of cooking.
0: Yeah. Let's see here. Okay. So you're mastering cooking. Has he done any, for lack of better words, like internships with other chefs around the sea, or has he always just been a lone wolf kind of cooking?
3: Well, he learned the, like his original love of cooking, he learned from like his, one would assume father figure on the ship. Yeah. And like between working as one would assume one of these, uh, these beast handlers which are is sort of like a throwaway job and then having like like this connected sort of atmosphere in the kitchen serving food and that's why that's where his like his personal connection like and his his humanity is contained there like despite being a mushroom you know what i mean yeah um i assume that he's had other teachers as well by going out in in the world but he's more the type who would like go around and challenge people through cooking and then okay you know what Uh, i mean
0: uh like a Shoku
3: Yes, basically.
0: Yes. So he just he just goes around and does like Shoku food wars with people instead of like actually being like, Hey, can I apprentice under you? He just challenges them straight up, be like, Duel me.
3: Except that like obviously Earlier on in his career, he got his ass whooped a lot, right? And then did have to apprentice under people and learn learn a thing. But he All he nice. was mostly he's also mostly the type where he'd be like, I, I'm going to steal your secrets and then run away like nice. as as much as possible and they'd be like you totally didn't understand it all and he's like haha i learned one thing time to take <laughs> off off to go battle my next dude right
0: amazing i just I, yeah i picture him like i learned how to stir from you and it's like that i know so many more skills no no i learned one skill i can leave now <laughs>
3: the time for me to go lose to the next dude for <laughs> yeah. the next like, also, 10
0: years i'm i'm hearing from our uh, peanut gallery here that allspice is made from dried berries and a plant. Uh, so it's a singular thing. Also, there's a secondary allspice that is a spice blend. Hmm. So incredible. The more you know. Our listeners didn't believe that we were an educational channel. But <laughs> uh, yeah. So you're, do you think... I mean, this is putting you on the spot a little bit. But do you think with the way... Uh, G-San's personality is—is is this cr- current crew a permanent home? Does he see it, or is this just another stopping point on his way to victory? He's
3: definitely made some deeper bonds here. Like he's he's avoided death a number of times, but he's he's got some some good trust. Like um, between between Rook, who he's maybe not the most fond of, but it's almost like this type of petty squabbles that you get among family. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and C is, is literally his, his best friend in the world, at least as far as like be reasonable, reasonable people are very hard to find. That's fair. Finding someone that you, you can actually like trust, especially because his, his trust is not given easily. So the fact that he's, he's found like, and he's not a fighter either. So having the the somewhat scary spider guy on his side is also like an important tactic for survival because again he's pragmatic above all other things and like he's like ah yes here's the very deadly thing that's not aimed at me i'm gonna stay as close (laughs) as possible so so long as as the crew and the ship stays in its current configuration i can't see why he'll leave it like it would take an amazingly better deal
0: to pull him out of that willingly fair enough and <clears throat> I think we'll end it there. I was Ian as the Firefly. Uh, I'm Dylan as myself,
3: as G-San.
4: Hi, I'm Austin, and I'm playing uh, Zizi Yaku, the Zellicray. Uh And here is what I've kind of come up so far with for a backstory. It's kind of been customized and organically grown since the first episode. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the amalgam, known to their crewmates as Ziziyaku, was hatched as a multitude in a small nest deep in the tangle. The travelers of the brood, returned from the surface with a shape similar to the ones they claimed lived above them, told the newlings of a blinding world filled with sustenance and fear. There was a portion that reacted with a new feeling, not one of fear or caution, but of curiosity and wonder of this bright new world. So as they slowly found others who had the same mindset among the multitudes in their brood, they generated a link and began to absorb each new experience brought back by the travelers together. And after many recallings of every memory and tale brought back by the travelers, they only became obsessed with the craving for wanting more and they set out once they were large enough to went to what they thought could protect themselves to f- find the world above the blinding one that was waiting uh on zitsuyaku's ascent through the layers he have uh, he came close to death of something that the travelers had been rumoring hanging around the the hive before they left but he'd never actually gotten a close look at it until there was a savage explosion of leaves and spray of cesarine and just claws and teeth in his face is uh, he was rescued by drock shaltry who came upon him hearing a crash in the sea uh, drock realizing this was not just some small creature you know being attacked by some other predator uh, sacrificed a bit of himself and ended up saving the small thing. And upon er- realizing its intelligence and ability to communicate, taught it the ways of the shanklings and the wild sea, and how sailors are meant to be protected and saved. Uh, but in this, he Zitsiyaku became accustomed to uh, the dangers of the one-minded, as he as they became to know all the single-minded races on the seas uh he gained the knowledge that people are fearful and afraid of his race and most of them approach him with caution and sometimes even violence uh he therefore he after Drock taught him all he could and separated he never really joined up with a crew until his current one being known as the solo walker known to sneak out and save ships as a little shadow on the seas by it's by himself It wasn't until he met his new crew that he finally got to acclimize and become friends and realize that he should reach out more. And he changed his appearance to do so. Uh, Before, he was just like this large shambling mass of armor plates and webs and leaves and sticks. But uh, upon gathering with the new crew and seeing all the sailors and stuff with their brightly colored flags and sims, Kerchiefs communicating with each other, realize that, well, anyone can understand that. Everyone likes a brightly colored thing. A little, you know, ignoring the aspect of the venomous things that live on the seas. He's a little bit virgin to those. Um, therefore, he covered his armor plates. With uh, little tassels, you know, a, pe- a pendant here, a banner there, a, a, v- a vast assortment of different flags uh, arrayed across his arms and his chest so he can get at them at quick access. It's not the greatest for stealth, but he's not going for stealth. He's going for outreach. Uh, currently, his last dilemma is learning how to be a better person, he thinks, and this hugging thing that his crewmates seem to keep forcing upon him. Plus, long (laughs) conversations are really hard when it's just about trees. And that is Tsitsiyaku, so far.
0: Nice. Yeah. um, Okay, let's see here. Were there any others who also became a hive mind from your brood? Or were you the only one?
4: Well, as mentioned before, like there was the Travelers, but there was also uh, another small uh, one who was a bit more. who took the opposite approach when they were, got exposed to the new Travelers stories and they just grew fearful and dark and kept hiding away. They were known as. Uh, let's see, what do we got here? They were known as Jazaro. J A Z I R O.
0: Okay. And what is your opinion on uh, the chelicrae or Zelicray that use the skins of other creatures as their form instead of just, like, cloth and armor? I can
4: see the relevance behind it but the implication of taking another intelligent being's form without their like consent or permission is one of the aspects of my race. I can see why people fear and I try to avoid it.
0: Okay. Um and then what is your how do you look on other chellacry that you find though? Cuz I mean if you you can see the value in winning the lottery of skin as it's called but you know if you find one who has won the lottery of skin or one who hasn't how do you do you treat either of them differently how do you treat other chelicre you find generally
4: with an aura of like acceptance that they wouldn't accept like get from any of the other one minded because my goal is to create like a place where all the you know quote unquote monstrous races can like coexist with the one minded without fear hmm so, when I encounter, because, like I said, I understand the, it makes it easier to associate with all the ones that would attack us. I've been attacked many times because I don't have the lottery of skin because I just look like some shambling beast yeah. so i I just I accept them all, but I also pay attention to where they got it from because I understand not all creatures are willing when as a celloccra wins the lottery.
0: yes, that is that is a good point to bring up because celloccra. Kray some will take the skin of others and some will be given the skin of others so it's definitely an interesting point of how you get the skin um growing up with Drock, what was Drock like what were some of the things he taught you specifically
4: uh Drock taught me um basic uh, creation techniques some of them handed down from among his people he claimed from before the prevergency times, like we uh, basket weaving, reed whistles, leaf whistles, uh, basic ropes, stuff like that. Taught me to navigate by the stars, which are the only thing that don't change on the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a... For, for someone who didn't travel with a set crew a lot of the time, he was someone who definitely... He was a beacon on the sea, whether it was him being loud or bright, or accepting. Like you, you couldn't really, if Drock was on the sea, you knew he was around.
0: Okay, that's exciting. And then you have your uh, swarm scout and your sentinel skywing. Do you want to talk about those for a minute?
4: Uh, sure. Uh, so the swarm scout, um, is kind of the. The result of me being alone for so long. Uh, one with the large, the long climb up from the tangle being so deep down and then being on my lo- alone again so long after being with Drock, it, a portion of my spiders kind of like separated off and became their own little pet entity that I could communicate with in a way that wasn't just with a singular hive mind. Something to stimulate me beyond just the colony. Okay. And then the bird i had assumed it was food on my way up but judging by the thrashing and it just standing out on a branch looking all stupid but then i realized that there were a few of them and after observing them for a while and watching other predators eat its compatriots and it proceeded to not freak out or fly away i decided to capture it and study it
0: okay and that's the one that is overgrown with some type of moss or fungus.
4: Yeah, it's 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 a it's it's similar to a red kite because obviously the creatures then aren't the same as the creatures now. Yeah. Um, but all with like uh, camouflage modeled feathers to blend into the sea, as well as um, and then out of its orifices, um, you can start seeing like little tendrils of fungus growing out of it. So, like, out of its uh, eye ducts, little nostrils in its beak, its meek is just, like, forced open
0: by a tendril. Terrifying. And then (laughs) you have have the mire. Something is hunting you. You're sure of it. Do you know what's hunting you? Do you not know what's hunting you? And you're sure of it, but are you actually being hunted, or is it just all in your mind?
4: Um, I'm actually being hunted. So there was some type of predator that had started before I left my original brood, that had started hunting around it. And it wasn't a very large brood to begin with. And it was it was quite violent. And a lot of the brood got eaten or destroyed. And when I was escaping when Drock rescued me, I was not while I wasn't the fully sized form I am now, I wasn't small enough to make the Predator look any less intimidating and large enough to be a threat to Drock.
0: Oh, okay. okay.
4: Uh, and all he could glimpse was like long things and something like sinewy and this weird clicking noise.
0: Ooh. Very intriguing. Very intriguing. Um. Okay. I think that's good. So you were Austin playing Zitsi Yaku, the Chelicray?
4: I was, and I hopefully keep Willie.
0: <laughs> nice. And I'm still Ian the Firefly.